You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Pastor Ben now, who will share with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, worship team. Whew, thank you. Uh, I don't really get claps, but that's nice every now and then. Bit of a surprise. Stroke my ego. <laughs> um, can I just say again, welcome to Sun Life Church. If this is your first time, uh, it is good to have you here. I am always meeting new people here. I just want to say that uh, we are not a, we are not a uh, church where uh, we're going to follow you up because we don't even have a system. We don't know how to do that. So we just kind of say this, that if you are coming here and you're trying to explore this Christianity thing, uh, keep coming. And I just hope that uh, you would encounter the Savior of the world, the one who lived for you and died for you. Uh, if you already love Jesus, um, I just hope that as you come on this journey here, it's not about this church, it's not about the program, it's not about the preaching. It's about just trying to follow the ways of Jesus, that I just want to help every one of us here follow Jesus and be more like Jesus, to become who Jesus would be if he were us. And, and so if we see you for two Sundays, three Sundays, 20 Sundays, and you love this community, and you're like, yeah, I want to be part of this church, great, let us know, and we would love to help you with your next steps. And your next steps would usually be um, get into small groups, small communities of, of people helping you follow Jesus. Um, yeah, that's just all we want to do here. So welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, can I just say a few things before we start looking into the Word of God? Is that uh, a few weeks ago I, I shared the practice of fasting. And, and if you do know that during the week it was the commencement of, of Lent, Right? Lent is the 40 days leading towards the Thursday before Good Friday. It's a practice that a lot of Catholics and um, Anglicans um, really hold firm into. It's one where they fast and they give and they pray a lot. And we don't hear that often in the, the, I guess, the evangelical circles. But I would encourage you that if you want to start fasting and you're not quite sure when to do it or how to do it, well, I think a great time is during Lent, during this next... 40 days leading towards Easter. And what that may look like is over the next six weeks before we get to Easter, maybe set aside one meal to forego. Just one meal. If you want to do two, that's up to you. But in that one meal when you should be prepping or eating, set time aside to what? Pray. Pray to God for maybe whatever is on your heart or pray for the opportunity to invite someone along to Good Friday or Easter Sunday, and pray for them that God will work inside their hearts to draw them to Him. So maybe for the next six weeks, once a week, so that's six times, why don't we set aside one meal to not eat and pray? And if you're not quite sure what is fasting, you're going to always podcast the teaching from three weeks ago, so that we can actually, as a community, pray and fast as we prepare ourselves to get into... Um, Easter. Is, is that okay? Okay. And there is a prayer night. There is a prayer night, I think the Monday before Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday. 
we are going to come in and we're going to just pray together on a Monday night here. It's a Monday night, right, Simon? Monday night. That's a great day if you want to, to fast that day. You might fast that lunchtime and pray and then come here and just pray and then feast afterwards. So there's a few practical things, right, that we can work on. Okay. This, this message here, I must say, it's very, very challenging because uh, as I was studying and writing, I just kind of said, I'm not the right person to be preaching this message because I feel like I'm a hypocrite. And I struggle with this, and I want you to know that I stand before you not as someone who gets this right, all right? I stand before you as another person doing my best to follow the ways of Jesus. And so do not look at me and say, oh, Pastor Ben has got it. No, he hasn't. And I struggle with this. And I felt that I was just the wrong person to be preaching this message. And I felt so convicted. But I'm glad that I studied. I'm glad that I spent time with the Lord. And I'm glad I'm actually teaching it to you this morning. So I hope that you'll be encouraged with what I have to share. Is that okay? That's just a disclaimer before I start. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, there's a lie out there. There's a lie that you hear often today, and it goes a bit like this. The more you have, the happier you be. The more possession you can accumulate, the happier you will be. The more money you have, the happier you'll be. Get the latest iPhone, you'll be happier. Trade in your old car, for the latest Tesla, you'll be happier. Build a bigger house, more rooms, you'll be happier. Purchase that new dress or buy those new pair of Air Jordan 1s and you'll be happier. I fall into that trap. Did you know in the Western world, countries like Australia and America, the number one leisure activity is, are you ready? Shopping. That's why companies like Amazon.com and eBay and AliExpress, they're the new gods of this world. There was a research that came out five years ago, and the research found out that around 10% of Aussies, that's around 25 of you in this auditorium, you have this problem. It's compulsive buying disorder. 25 of us here. There is an addiction to shopping, buying more and more and more, because we think that the more we have, the happier we'll be. And Jesus, he has a lot to say about possession and money. He does. And they're heart-hitting verses, but we cannot skim them through Scripture. For example, he once said this to a very rich young ruler in Matthew 19, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. That's hard-hitting. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, about your body and what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And later on, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be what added or given to you. 
In the same chapter in Matthew 6, he says this, Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust consumes and where thieves break in and steal, but store yourselves treasures in heaven. See, it seems like in the text and in Scripture that if we're not careful, having too much things doesn't necessarily lead to a more happier life, but it does lead to a more hectic, overcrowded, cluttered life where we lose focus on the most important thing. That's why Jesus once said, remember, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve two masters. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon in the Greek is commonly translated as money, but it's more than money. It's the material riches, the treasures and the wealth that we would place our trust in. So Jesus says, you pick one or the other. You can't have both. You can't serve God and serve riches and wealth and treasures of this world. You take your pick. So it's very hard hitting. You know, and I think sometimes if we're not careful, our lives get so consumed with things that we forget the most important thing. You know, I was studying this during the week and I was reminded during the COVID years and it reminded me of 2020 and when we spent a lot of time at home. Do you remember? Did you know that during COVID, Aussies, we spent a whopping $12.3 billion on, do you know what? Renovations. $12.3 billion renovating our house because we were all at home. We didn't drive to work. We didn't have lunch meetings. We didn't travel overseas. We were kind of stuck at home. We had a lot of spare time. So what did we do? We ended up renovating our homes. This morning, I want to teach us the third practice. It is the practice of simplicity, where we are called to free up our hectic lifestyle to create margins so God would renovate our hearts. And this is hard because we are called to live a very simple lifestyle, not a hectic one, where we create margin for God to renovate our hearts. So three things I want to talk about this morning. What it is not, what simplicity is not, what it is, and where do I start? Amen? So let me pray, and then we'll learn together. God, I just pray now that you would help me as I teach and I begin to unpack your word, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you be our great teacher, that we look towards you and not the communicator or ourselves, but you alone. So God, you, uh, you speak to us, you do what you need to do in our hearts right now. Uh, help me to uh, communicate well, um, open our eyes and our ears to hear from you. We want to leave change. Uh, learning to live a simple life, to create margin, to have more of you. We want to taste and see that you are good this year and the years to come. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. What it is not. Number one, two things it's not. Number one, it's not a trend. Simplicity is not a trend. Sometimes when we hear the word simplicity, right, there's another word that is very interchangeable. It's the word minimalism. All right, minimalism, when you think of that word, I think, well, for me, the first thing I think is the IKEA catalog. You know, I think of, you know, architectural design, it's modern, everything is neat, it's clean, there are straight lines, it's all beige, there's only one picture frame on the wall, 
you know, the kitchen bench is kind of like neat. There's nothing on the bench except one cactus sitting neatly in a nice ceramic geometrical pot. You know, I think of that, yeah. And for some of us, when we think minimalism, we think of, oh yeah, the capsule wardrobe. All I need is just 12 items of clothing. That's it. And I, they're all interchangeable. And if I put them together, I can come up with a thousand and one different outfit. So I'm going to live that really minimal life. It's so trendy. It's so hip. It's so in. It's so cool. But that's not simplicity in the sense of Scripture. So that's the good news. That's the good news for anyone of you here who have no idea what is a geometrical vase. That's good news. That is good news for anyone here who you feel that your fashion sense is a bit everywhere. That's good news. It is good news, like me, that your house is very messy and it is always untidy and you're frantically trying to clean your house 30 minutes before the guests arrive. That's me as well. So that's good news. Amen? Amen. So it's not a trend. It's not an in thing. It's not a fad. Number two, it is not poverty. All right, it is not us running away from the wealth of this world and just now living in poverty. You see, in the early church, the early time, just after Jesus, there were a group of people known as Gnostics who believed that every material blessings, everything from the world, should be rejected because it all came from the devil. So the Christians then thought that, well, any of the pleasures of this world, I've got to throw it away and now live in poverty. And so they became living in poverty. Can I say this? Simplicity is not us living in poverty. Okay? It is us, it's not us selling all our possession, living on the streets, no future planning, no saving. The only furniture in your bedroom is the mattress on the floor. That's not simplicity. Because the last time I read the Bible, right, God created the world good. And we are to enjoy His creation and enjoy God's gift of creation. So, number one, it is not a trend. Number two, it is not poverty. So, what is it? Here it is. Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, they say this. It is the inward reality. It starts internally of a single-hearted focus upon God and His kingdom. So it starts internally with a focus upon God and His kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, unpretentiousness, and which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. Do you see that? The most important thing is for our hearts to see God to focus on Him and His kingdom, to want to be like Him. Believers, the most important for us is to want to be more like God. Look at Him, look at His kingdom. And then naturally what happens outwardly, we end up doing the things of God, being more like Jesus. If we are not careful, if the Christian walk is all about doing, doing, more doing, Practicing these disciplines, fasting, prayer, silence, solitude, simplicity, if we are not careful, it will become a form of legalism. The heart needs to be changed first. And out of that, the outward flow will be these practices. And you know what legalism is, right? 
Well, legalism is when you say, well, I can keep or earn God's favor or love by what I do. So the more I do, the more God gives me. That's legalism. And I hear that in local churches. The more I give, the more I get blessed. The more I serve, the more I get blessed. The more I do this, the more I get blessed. The more I pray, God answers my prayer. Wait a minute. No. Flip it around. My heart is attuned to God. I love God. I love Jesus. I know what He's done for me in the cross. And out of that, there's an overflow in wanting to follow these practices because that's what my master is doing. Do you understand that, right? And so, simplicity, it is when we are intentional in putting Christ at the center. Do you know why? We're already made complete in Christ. Therefore, we want to put Him first. And anything that distracts us from Christ, we limit those things. And I love what Ernest said earlier on. Ernest, our worship leader, he said 18 months ago, he stopped working, he didn't work, and he just spent time assessing his soul. And I remember talking to him during that period of time where it was like so much going on. His life was hectic. And maybe for some of us, our lives are a bit hectic. We're so, I guess, distracted with what's going on and we forget time with God. And so what we need to do is we need to limit or get rid of certain things that stops us from drawing closer to God. Joshua Becker says this, it is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. What's the most important thing? It's God. It's Jesus. It's His kingdom. And anything that distracts us from that, we limit that or we get rid of them. This year, it's all about taste and see that God is good. He wants you to enjoy Him. But if there are some things that are distracting you from enjoying Him, I think we need to identify those things. We need to limit those things, reduce, remove those things so that we have Him as the focus. You know, Jesus once shared a parable in Matthew 13 about seeds. Remember? Seeds being thrown and scattered. Look in verse 7. Other seeds fell on thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You notice that? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and all these things would choke the plant and it would not grow to be the plant that God intends it to grow. And maybe... For some of us here this morning, we're just too worried about the future, too worried about what other thinks of us, too worried about what we wear, too worried about how much money we have or we do not have, and now we're in this rat race and we're chasing the wealth of this world one thing after the next, the latest fashion trends, the newest gadget out there, the, last, the latest electric vehicles, the next investment and I could go on and on and on. And we're now in this spiral where we lose focus on God. And let me just say this, because I do know that we're quite a, a white-collar, affluent community here. That wealth in itself is not evil. No, it's, it's not evil. Wealth must sit 
under the priority of God's kingdom. Therefore, we use wealth for the purpose of God's kingdom. We are to be what? It's master and not let it master us. Amen? So we need to be disciples of Jesus who spend wealth, our wealth, under the direction of our God because He has been kind in blessing us with money. Do you understand that? But it's when wealth secretly becomes our end goal. That's what we're pursuing. That's the object of our existence and our worship. And we want more and more of it thinking that it will give me more meaning and more purpose and happiness. Or at that point, if you're not careful, it chokes you and you will not enjoy the goodness of God. Do you understand that? That's why the discipline of simplicity is to be intentional to limit anything that chokes us. And it's hard-hitting. I love it when David says this in Psalm 63. He says, God, you, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He says that I want you, I thirst for you. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. What is he saying? God, you are everything. I long for you. I thirst for you. You know, your love is greater than my life. Because of that, I will sing to you. And I believe that's how we are called to live. That He becomes the center of our existence and everything is about pursuing Him, chasing after Him, and He is better than life. And so we look at our lives and we say, well, is that the case? Or there's so much going on, we're so distracted that we are no longer tasting and seeing the goodness of God. John Mark Comey says this, the goal isn't to declutter your closet or garage, but to declutter your life. That means, listen carefully, for some of us, it means less clothes, less possession, less purchases, less appointments, even less work, less hobbies, less TV, less sports, etc., etc. So that we create margin for what? More of God more of His love and His joy and His peace, more of His presence, more time in prayer and in His Word, more in meaningful Christian relationship. That's what we're trying to do. Adele Cohen says this, simplicity is to uncomplicate and untangle my life so that I can focus on what really matters. You know, sometimes I I ask some of you, uh, to be in small groups. And there's a reason why we'd be in small groups. It's because that's how we disciple each other at Sun Life Church. And one of the uh, comments I hear a lot is, and this is not being condemning, is uh, I just don't have time, Pastor. I don't have time to meet up with other believers. I, I think you do have time. Maybe your, your schedule is a bit too much. And so you need to look at your life and see what is important and create time for what really matters. A.W. Tozer says this, we Christians, we must simplify our lives or lose untold treasures on earth and in eternity. There are treasures here within Christian fellowship, following the ways of Jesus here in this life 
and also in eternity. So simplify your life so you do not miss out what God has in store for you. And so in Jesus, right, what we see, He offers us a new way of living, a way of contentment, doing less, having less, creating margin to enjoy Him. So now let me give you five things that you can consider if you want to take on the practice of simplicity to create margin to enjoy more of God. Are you ready? Five practical things. Here we go. Number one, create a fixed calendar. And what I mean by that is this. Look at your week, Monday to Sunday. Pray over what you're currently doing. Ask yourself the question, am I doing too much? Is there intentional time to be with Jesus? Put them in your calendar, the important things. Like, are you putting in sleep into your calendar? Yeah? Seven to eight hours a day of sleep, not per week, a day. You know? Are you putting in time for practices like prayer and Bible reading and Sabbath and Sunday worship? Is it in your diary? Are there times to catch up with your family, meals with your parents and your children? Are you meeting up with your mentors for, you know, mentoring over a coffee or your connect group? You look at all the things that are important. You put it in first and you go, these are my non-negotiable because they're the things that helps me focus on God. And then the rest, work and meetings and sports and TV and catching up on the latest Married at first sight, whatever. You, you put it in later on. And then what you do is you take a step back. And you look at your Monday to Sunday. And you pray. And you ask God, God, what do I need to let go? Is there just too much going on? Lord, have I put you first? Have my week been so old? overcrowded that I'm doing one thing after the next and I can't catch my breath and I just miss spending time with you. So you pray over that and then bravely you cross out, slow down and you do less because you want to reduce the chaos of the week to create margin to be with God. That's the very first thing you want to do. You want to have a fixed diary and you use that as a guide. If you look at your diary and you realize, oh my goodness, it's one thing after the next. I've got work, and I've got this, and I've got that, and I'm playing sports, I've got music practice, I, so much. Slow down, pray, start crossing things out. Do less, reduce the chaos to create margin to be with God. Number two, develop the habit of giving things away. See, if you find that you're being so attached to possession, overcome it by giving it away to someone who needs it. Jesus, he once said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that right? I know Jamie, I'm not quite sure if Jamie's here or not. Oh, he's down there. Jamie's always coming to our church. He's always putting things up and building things. And I would often ask Jamie, Jamie, where do we get that from? How much does that cost? And 99% of the time, his reply is, it's from my house. I love giving things away. And I really believe that uh, my brother Jamie is so blessed when he learns to give things away. And we are all blessed. So in other words, as we learn to give things away, we hold less onto possessions, less thing cluttering us. 
Last year, if you remember, a young married couple in our church was looking for a what? I, I, I think it was a washing machine. And uh, during, a, during my message, I felt Holy Spirit say, just mention it, just plug it. <laughs> and I plugged it. And that week, one of you had a spare washing machine and you drove to that young couple's house with the washing machine and you hand-delivered to their doorstep. I love that. We can learn to give things away. You know, in the early years of planting Sun Life Church, um, when our kids were a lot younger, a lot of you, you would often give Tran uh, bags, or us, bags of kids' clothing. And we were, we were so moved and, and, and we were so grateful that you would think of us and there were to us, we were just so appreciative that you gave us these clothes. And, and I remember some of the comments was that, you know, we, we hope it's okay, Pastor, the hand-me-downs. And we're like, hey, you know what? We love it. We love the gesture. And even to this day, I see my wife. She'll come to church every now and then with bags of clothes. And she'll pass it to some of these young parents here. And I love that. I love that in our community where we can actually share and learn to give things away. But here's the challenge. Don't just give things away that you no longer want or no longer use. Give things away that you have created a healthy habit towards. Things that you like. I'll, I'll challenge you. Maybe for some of you, you're so addicted to say, I don't know, gadgets. Give those gadgets away. There's something that's so liberating when we just give things away. And we say, you know what, you are not in control of me, I'm in control of you. You release it. And here's another benefit before I move to my next point. If you learn to give things away, the more you give, the more you give, guess what? You won't be on that TV show, Hoarders. <laughs> Take me later on. Number three, only buy things for their usefulness and not status. There's a saying out there, and it goes a bit like this, I am what I buy, I am what I wear, I am what I drive, I am where I live. And that's very hard to admit. See, for a lot of us, and this is me included, things are not just things, they're who we are. Sadly, they're our identity. And we need to ask ourselves the question, why are we buying those items? Do I really need to buy that $20,000 Louis Vuitton handbag? Do I really need an extra pair of Jordan 1s? Do I really need to build that seven-bedroom house with five bathrooms when there's just two of us? See, I think we need to look at the utility of the item rather purely to impress people. You see, on the topic of buying, listen carefully. Don't impulse buy, all right? Be very, very careful. You see something and you want to buy it. If you're not careful, if you keep buying and buying, then what happens is you're just accumulating so much possession and your life becomes so cluttered. So when you see something that you want to buy, maybe just sit on it for a while. Just park it there. Come back in 24 hours. Ask God, should I make this purchase? Hey, just because it's on sale, it's cheap. It's in the clearance box. It's Boxing Day or it's Cyber Monday. It doesn't mean we have to buy it. Jane Milburn, she says this, 
Fast fashion produced from global supply chains is driving excessive purchasing of affordable new clothing, often discarded after a few wears. You notice that, right? All these clothes, it's so cheap and it's in fashion. So we just buy, we buy, we buy because we want to save money. So we buy cheap, but we end up buying more and more. And then it lasts for one or two wears or when the fashion finishes, that's it. And some items in our closet, we only wear once a year. And our lives are just so chaotic. Why don't you just donate and give? We can all do that. I did that a year ago. Wow, it was so liberating. Give. If you're one of those people who says, well, no, you don't get it, Pastor. I'm going to hold on to it because it's sentimental. Great. And also, Pastor, it's going to come back in fashion. Great. I did some research. Trend comes back every 20 years. 20 years from now, Jesus might be back before then. Get rid of it. Donate. Learn to give away. Amen? Number four. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. You don't have to own things. See, the culture says to us today that, well, if you really want to enjoy something, you've got to own it, and then you enjoy it. Richard Foster says this, owning things is an obsession in our culture. If we own it, we feel we can control it. And if we can control it, we feel it will give us more pleasure. The idea is an illusion. You don't need to go and buy books on your Kindle app or Amazon.com. You can go to the library and just read books there and enjoy it. It's free. You don't need to have a pool in the backyard because everyone's got one. You can go to the beach and enjoy the few beaches in Perth. It's beautiful. Watch out for the sharks, but you know where you'll be. Enjoy the beaches. You can go for a stroll in the park. Oh, wow. We have some beautiful parks here. It's free. Enjoy the fresh air. The last time I checked, man, air is still free. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. You can learn to borrow things, use it, enjoy it. We as a community, we can learn to share our belongings. If you need a lawnmower, you don't need to buy a lawnmower. Find someone else in this church who has a lawnmower. Go and use the lawnmower and share. I think we can enjoy things without owning things. And what happens is we end up buying less, owning less, having less clutter in our lives to free ourselves, to create margin, to enjoy who? God. That's something we can do. One more, one last one. I think this one's important. Just learn to be content with whatever you have. You do not need to compare with those around you. You do not have to keep up with the Joneses, okay? If they're going to Barcelona on holidays, during the school holiday, and you're going to Bustleton, hey, at least you're going to Bustleton. She rocks up to church with a nice Louis Vuitton, Versace handbag, and yours from Tajay, it's okay. Just be content with what you have. And here's the thing with contentment. I believe it's a grace of God. It starts with God. So in other words, for some of us here, where we're always trying to compete with people and we want more and more, we need to get onto our needs and say, God, I need you to help me with this area of my life. I confess that this is a problem. So would you give me the gift, the grace of contentment to be satisfied and know that I'm complete in you? And I'll show you why. 
because I see that in the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul, he writes to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, he says this, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see that? The context to Philippians 4.13 is not you taking a three-pointer and getting it in or skydiving off a high building. I can do all things. The context there is contentment. Paul says that I have experienced the highs and the lows. I know what it is to have a lot and have nothing. But in all circumstances, I know the secret. It is God who strengthens me and I can do all those things. That's the context to Philippians 4.13. The amount of times I hear pastors who butchers that passage is just countless. Paul says, if you want to live a life of contentment, it's only through Jesus alone. So what you need to do is you get on your knees. Maybe for some of us, before we even tackle the first four practical advice, jump straight to number five. God, will you give me a heart of contentment? Would you help me to just to enjoy you with whatever I have? If I have a lot or I have nothing, it doesn't matter. You complete me. You're all that I need and I enjoy you. God, would you give me that grace? So for some of us here, maybe that's what we need to do. Get onto our knees and just ask God to give us the grace of contentment. And then maybe we free up our life. We free things up. We buy less. We possess less. We chase after less and we create margin. So God will do a deep work in our soul and we enjoy Him. We taste and see that He is good. Amen. This is a hard one especially in the Western world. So for some of us, God is already speaking to you. You know what you need to do. Do it. Maybe get on your knees and ask God for the grace of contentment. Maybe it's to give, give, give. Maybe it's to buy less, to do less. Maybe it's to just learn to enjoy God's creation. Enjoy the parks, the beaches, the free, fresh air. Slow down. Less clutter. Less chaos. Free yourself up. Create more margin to be with your Creator and taste and see that God is good. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us all, me included, that you are worth it. You are good. You are good and we can slow down and we can be just simple in the way we live our days because we want more of you. We want to focus our eyes upon you. We want to enjoy you. So God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Lord, I just pray right now uh, the work that you're already doing in people's hearts right now. Continue to do the work. Give them the courage and the boldness, yeah, Lord, just to take the next step, whatever it is, to see that there is less in their week, less in their life. Free themselves up to be more with you.
In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand up? Why don't we just spend this time as we worship God in response to the teaching of God's Word? And, and, and maybe, maybe right now. And you know what? I'm, I, I never want to be sounding condemning. That's my, not my approach. But maybe right now, God is really speaking to you. And for some of you, you're already struggling in that area. What I want you to know is that we're creating a space at the front for people to pray with you, to encourage you. Maybe the prayer simply, can you pray that I grow in contentment? Pray. We want to pray for you. So I'm going to welcome the prayer team to be up the front just to receive prayer. As we worship, if you need prayer, I want you to come forward and just receive prayer. Remember, as we you know, bring our prayers to God, we believe God is doing work in our midst. So we're going to worship. If you need prayer, come forward for prayer at this time. Let's